1: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
2: okay podcast episode six three with me dan the fitness man what's up y'all hey if you're a first time listener this is the podcast that's all about the elk hunting learning curve Making sacrifices and disciplining yourself to become the best version of yourself. Leveraging elk hunting to wake up early, to prepare your meals, to eat right, to engage with your family, to dial in your finances, and to hunt hard and be a savage in the mountains because you train year-round. That's what we're all about today. I'm lucky enough to sit down with the CEO, the chairman of Buck Knives, established in the early 1900s. We're talking to C.J. Buck buck his dad's dad's dad started this company that's right he's fourth generation and soon fifth generation will take over this family operation buck knives is a staple i think almost everybody's had at least one buck knife in their lifetime and uh, those knives are incredible their hq headquarters is in post falls idaho that's about a 25 minute drive from my house i drove down there Well, we brought our video cameras and we went and captured the whole factory tour from start to finish on how they make their knives. Pretty mind blowing, we'll drop that on YouTube soon. So be looking out for that. We talked to CJ about business today. This guy is obviously next level when it comes to CEO. I mean, they employ 300 people. They've been in business for over 100 years. He's got a lot of responsibility. So I didn't hesitate to ask him discipline, leadership, all sorts of business questions now we kept it short because he's a busy man but this is one of my favorite podcasts we've ever recorded so check that out as far as elk shape camp it is coming up registration link goes live april 5th at midnight you will be able to find that link on our socials and off the elk shape website so you'll be able to find that no problem as far as the details on the camp goes we're opening it up to 40 athletes Not only are we bringing back the same subject matter experts, but we're making it better than the last one. We're going to be going over all the things that we did that last camp as far as the in-body scan, nutrition prescription, nutrition lecture, uh, a what-is-fitness lecture, and then right into some of the essential movements and programming for garage gym, a test-out workout or two. We'll teach you injury prevention at the hip and shoulder, crossover symmetry protocols, backpack systems, backcountry nutrition we're gonna go over elk calling. We're gonna break you guys into smaller groups. This go around more instruction, more time with Dirk. Time for QA, elk hunting questions. We'll also have private archery coaching for every athlete with video analysis. We're gonna teach you how to tune a bow in person. We're gonna go over third axis leveling and we're bringing in Train to Hunt. That's right. Kenton Claremont, founder of Train to Hunt, is gonna be putting on a private Train to Hunt course for attendees only at Spokane Valley Archery. So half the guys will be out there working with Josh Jones and Kenton on the archery side of things. The other half will be with me and Dirk and Ryan going over backcountry systems and calling and obviously nutrition fitness, and we'll swap. It's a Friday through Saturday. It's going to be very intense. It starts at 4 o'clock on Friday, June 21st, and ends on Sunday, June 23rd at 3 o'clock, and there'll be so much good stuff stashed in between. Hopefully you can make it out should be pretty epic now as far as elkshape.com goes check out the store just a quick plug for that we have swag programs 21 days to elk shape nutrition programs soon we're going to have an online version of elk shape camp you can skype with me if you want to book time to go over some life coaching goal setting elk hunting questions fitness whatever and as far as just a couple plugs for sponsors we got a couple offers for you guys so university of elk hunting with Corey jacobson off. Use discount code Elkshape. Uh, Siberian Coolers. Use the discount code Elkshape2019. Get 10% off. I'm going to be rocking Siberian from here going forward. I'm going to use their Alpha Series, that 85 quart. I am going to replace my Yeti. If you haven't heard of Siberian Coolers out of Bozeman, Montana, that's a bonus. They don't have elaborate marketing. They don't charge that extra 25% so they can pay for really cool videos and ads and all that silliness. They're just as good as other brands. They just don't uh, market up an extra 25%. So I want you guys that are blue collar to make the switch or if you're looking at investing in a good cooler, check them out. I've handpicked them on purpose and I think it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to put some bear meat in that cooler this spring. FNX supplements, I switched from Mountain Ops a while back. And they have a discount code, ELKSHAPE, for you to save 15% off. I don't get any kickback on that. That's just something I wanted to offer to you guys. People ask me all the time what supplements I take. You'd be surprised. I don't take very many. But if you are curious, I'm going to answer that now. I take a daily multivitamin from FNX. I take krill oil. And there's a big why behind that. But that is probably the most important thing you can take next to your multi. And I take the rebalance greens. I take all three of those daily, and then I do a post workout with their way, the refuel way, and it's awesome. So that's what I take. Lastly, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsors hard work, discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. Without further ado, this is CJ Buck, CEO of Buck Knives. All right, my goal is to hammer this out in 30 minutes or less. <laughs> Hey guys, Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today, we are in beautiful Post Falls, Idaho. I'm joined by Mr. Buck Knifes himself. How's it going?
3: Going well. Thank you for having me.
2: So, we just had a tour, and I guess it was a condensed tour, but I mean, my mind's kind of blown. We filmed the whole thing. You guys do everything in-house. It's an, it's an unbelievable operation. Tell us a little bit about the history of the company and, and all the pertinent details of how you guys started and how you are here today. I know it's a big question to start it, with, that, but that's
3: a lot of story, but I'll uh, I'll dive in. So my great grandfather, Hoyt Heathbuck, he started making knives as an apprentice blacksmith in nineteen oh two in Leavenworth, Kansas. So the little store the little store that he was in had a had a, a, a downstairs where you could actually drive a cart in, fix the wheels, fix harnesses for the horses, whatever they were doing. And so he would take the leftover files and make knives out of them. He wasn't a big knife guy, but he was a metallurgy guy. He loved working with metal. He loved forming metal. Knives were just an easy way to make a little money doing it. So they relocated to the Pacific Northwest. So Hoyt raised his family in Washington State, north of Seattle. My grandfather, Al Buck, was in the Navy in San Diego, fell in love with sunshine, yeah. <laughs> and, and stayed. Being able to be on the water all year long meant a lot to my grandfather. So he was raising his family in San Diego, and in 1945, his parents came to move in with him. So if you think about kind of the inverse of kids today tend to move back in with their parents. I think in the olden days, I think parents kind of moved back in with their kids but uh, so my great grandparents left Idaho at the time, moved into San Diego. He taught his son Al how to make knives. So the two of them, H.H. Buck and son, lifetime knives, the two of them made knives only for about three years together. In that three year time period, my great granddad passed away soon after, but my grandfather kept making knives. So now here we are from 1945 to 2005, for the next 60 years, we were in San Diego uh, making Buck Knives.
2: Wow, that's a rich history. And then eventually you guys moved up here to North Idaho. So you've been, in, you've been here since 2005?
3: Yeah, so San Diego was an amazing place to have a business. California was enormously business-friendly, and it it got over that yeah, <laughs> but it was. Uh, but uh, so imagine the state run by Ronald Reagan being a fabulous place to have a business san diego was a great location beautiful beautiful climate uh, but there's so much defense industry in san diego so um between the marine corps the uh uh the navy we had just the cream of the crop from all across the United States, coming to San Diego, falling in love with the climate, just like my grandfather, and staying. So we had a great work ethic, we a great employment base. Uh, San Diego was a, a kind of a, a very business-friendly area until it wasn't, until the state um, just evolved away from being business-friendly. And so we decided that we wanted to continue manufacturing in the U.S., couldn't do it in San Diego, uh, so we relocated to Post Falls, Idaho in 2005.
2: Yeah. Well, I've, I've known about this location. I've actually had a tour before. It's been a long time, not quite like today. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty humbling to see all that you guys do, not only from a knife-making standpoint, but just from a business standpoint. You employ a lot of people, and you don't sub a lot of work out. It's like here, it's really it's almost rare these days to find a company that's keeping jobs right here in the US.
3: You know, it's it's interesting you say that because when you think about the evolution of manufacturing philosophy for for a couple of decades now, businesses have been incentivized to decapitalize. So, you want outsource. You want to own as little as possible. You want to rent, you want to outsource you want suppliers, you want to you have as few people so that you're not responsible for too many people. Just, everything was about decentralization and decapitalizing. And when you think about successful businesses way back when, it was the opposite. Bring everything in, hire more people, control your processes, control your materials, do as much of the subassemblies yourself as you can because you own it, you control it. And what we've done is kind of take that step back uh, we've bought a lot of equipment. So in the last five, six years, we've invested well over $5 million into equipment here in this facility uh, to be able to do things ourselves, from from the most recent being bringing in the Cerakote. I don't know if you got a chance yep. to see that. Very cool. Yep. So bringing that in, buying lasers, doing uh, high-speed machining centers, high-speed routers, doing creating our own parts, uh, creating our own fasteners with our uh, screw machines. Uh, bringing all those things in house gives us a, a much better, we tend to not screw it up as much yeah. when, when you're, when you're making parts for the guy that's 50 feet away from you, you tend to take a little better care than when you're a couple States away.
2: percent. <laughs> wow. You know. That's pretty cool to watch you guys reinvest your dollars. Uh, keep everything here. I'm not sure whose vision that was, but I imagine you're steering the ship. What's the vision for the next five years?
3: Oh, just keep growing. I mean, the, the, what what we want to do as a company is 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 provide innovation and quality. So it, it's kind of innovative function. I'm nobody like my granddad, my great granddad. Nobody's been a gimmick hound. It's it's always been clean function. And and if you're out in the woods, I mean, as an elk hunter, when you're out there and you've got something that weighs eight hundred to a thousand pounds sitting there in front of you. Nothing can fail. You're, no. you're too far out there for to have something fail on you, and and a lot of times the simpler the better. And so what we try and do is make sure that the the products we design have that functional simplicity, so that it's they will perform. From a metallurgy, picking the right metals, heat treating them correctly, making sure that the that the production processes are are clean. Uh, not a lot of chance for error. The, you know we don't want to make custom. like we, we want to make production stuff that performs, you can count on it, you can depend on it. And that's, that kind of drives everything. So when you talk about vision, everything we do from bringing processes in house, to how we train people, to the culture we create here is all about uh, consistent functionality for our customers.
2: Okay, that was a pretty good answer. We, uh, we talk about discipline a lot on the podcast. And, and not so much that it's going to make you kill more elk, but we do know that we can leverage elk hunting to make us more disciplined in our day-to-day. And I'm just curious from a small business owner myself to looking at you running this operation, what are some of your best practices as the leader of this company when it comes to discipline, and how does that play a role in your day-to-day?
3: Interesting question. Um, you know, it's, to me it starts with the team like you're so something my grand my grandfather had to do a lot of the business development heartache i didn't have to do that sure so he's the one that had to go through the being the one-man shop to to deleveraging himself to to delegating uh, uh sacred elements of his business yeah. to people he trusted <sighs> he had to do that he made himself um uh, unessential to his business which is which is really key i mean that the goal of a of a business owner is how how do you make yourself unessential so that the people that you hire they know enough they understand your vision uh you know they understand your your sense of integrity and value so that you can hands off and and now you've decentralized Because the real goal is, you want people solving problems as close to those problems as possible, and you don't want sitting in your office kind of dictating something that may or may not make sense once you actually get it onto the field. But so, from an elk, you know, back to your hunting analogy, (coughs) you uh, uh, things are always going to change you know the, the plan that you made when you were sitting at the kitchen table is rarely the one you actually follow when you're when you're on the hillside 100% so you just you you got to you so you want people who are aware enough to be responsive to to what's going on cuz you want the best solution possible
2: yeah why don't they teach you that when you open your first business (laughs) hey you know you're so just trying to get things running and up and going and no one ever comes in and mentors you and says hey you need to look way further down the road you got to duplicate yourself like you said and and get the people get the team and get them the ones solving the problems um i wish i you could have told me that about 10 (laughs) years ago when i went into business with myself and uh it's a challenge every day is a challenge um Rarely do I get someone at your level as far as leadership and capacity, so I got to go down that road of, okay, we talked about best practices and discipline and building the team and your vision. So so where do you guys want to take it from here when it comes to competition? The market has other players involved, but you have such a powerful brand. How do you stay on top? I know you're probably pretty focused on you and no one else, but let's be yeah. honest, there's always competition in business and in elk hunting, what's your best uh, advice for that?
3: You know, the I would say uh, you you focus on your core competencies. So, what do you deliver? What do you bring to the party? So, when I, when I think of buck knives, what do we bring to the party? We bring careful, thoughtful design and ultimate discipline in implementing those designs, producing those designs. Like I said earlier, how we heat treat, how we assemble, uh, the, the choices of raw materials we make. Is, is that going to be tough enough to handle how this thing's going to be used? Is that, is that mechanism so complex that as soon as you dip it in blood or dirt, it's just not going to function anymore? So a lot of really cool ideas are not worthy of outdoor adventure like it, so you Certainly. so as you're going through so when i think about uh, buck's core competency is is a care and a passion for that function and and when you think about that there really isn't a lot of limits to where that doesn't resonate so no matter what we eventually ever decide to do as a business that same care about is is this is the design correct Are the materials correct? Do the people care enough to put it together properly? You got those three things, you're going to put out a good product. And I will say, manufacturing, I love manufacturing. I love making something. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, I think as a country, I think we've lost a lot because when you take five dollars worth of materials and turn it into a fifty dollar knife you have magically created value yeah. if you're just taking a dollar here and shoving it over there and switching dollars back and forth you haven't created you've created something just the movement creates something but nothing creates wealth like making things yeah and, and so cool. i i love being part of manufacturing buck will always be part of manufacturing it it you know That is what drove our move. So relocating, relocating a company is really hard, (laughs) way harder. Luckily for me, I was a naive idiot and didn't realize (laughs) how difficult it was going to be. So it's like, heck yeah, we're moving. We're done. Come on, we're in. We can do this. Yeah, you tell me it takes three years, but I know we're buck. We're going to, we're going to nail it down in six months. It killed us. Uh, it was so much more difficult than I, uh, planned for. And it was so much more difficult on the people here than I had planned for.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, so in, in a way I'm kind of thankful that I didn't overthink it and we yeah. did it before we realized, cause now once you're, yeah. you decide to hike up that mountain, it's, you're just going for it now. Cause you gotta, Oof. and that's, and that's where we were. We were, we had to go for it. We had to keep moving forward, um, and now sitting here, now we're in a, we're in a really good place for a good future.
2: That's pretty cool. So your time will come. What's, what's Buck going to do? Like what, what's your best wishes for Buck when your time's gone and, and you're gone and, and this thing's still alive because it's obviously a very powerful brand.
3: Yeah. It, you know, it is a legacy. I do, uh, we've got G5, so we have our fifth generation. So I'm fourth generation. Yeah. Um, the fifth generation is is very focused mm. i've got a son daughter and a son-in-law here so the fifth generation is is um is very invested in in the long term of our company uh no interest in selling you know I, I see some people who own businesses and their kids have no interest so just you know they, they just sell it because yeah. what are you going to do with it but uh, so we have another family generation that's very focused on this legacy very focused on that the 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 uh, you know the manufacturing element the quality element the functionality the customer relation one thing I will say with knives <clears throat> knives become so personal to people hundred percent I couldn't imagine being in, in an industry that didn't. Yeah. So I'm spoiled rotten. I love hearing stories of, you know, yeah, this is my grandpa's knife, or uh-huh. I got this, I got this in the Boy Scouts, or I graduated high school, or whatever it is, you, these knives so connect and and I love honestly basking in that mm-hmm. glow. It's yeah. just so much fun. So I, I couldn't imagine making socks or pants or boots or of all the other stuff you desperately need when you're outdoors. Yep. You know, between guns and knives, there's just something magical about.
2: It's an heirloom. It's a. It's, it marks history. It's a. It's a page keeper. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, well, I won't keep you. I I got to go. A little qu- questions for you. So I told Chris um, before. I've been a guy who's you know used every bit of knife, but I've been on the Havilon kick for many years. Now I do break blades. Yes, they are razor sharp. Yes. But I know there's something better out there. So we're in your house. Let's talk about your products. What would you recommend for an elk hunter like me? Pretty much blue collar. Definitely do it yourself. Gonna be in some backcountry, but I need something that's gonna perform and worth its weight in gold, pun intended.
3: Yeah, I. Uh, there's a couple things I would recommend. So one, we we looked at doing a a replaceable blade. Mm-hmm. The, the razor blade knife, we looked at that and just decided um, that there were, there were a lot of issues with it. One of the things we have to be careful of is, is not all of our consumers always know what they're doing. <laughs> and so we're, we're trying to be cautious of that. So one of the things with the Havilons, I mean, you mentioned a brand name, but one of the, one of the things with the replaceable razor blade knives is if you don't know how to use them, they don't perform well for you you end up breaking way too many blades and you, you you'd hate to be in a place where you're halfway through something an animal and you just broke your last blade yeah and now you're stuck so what we did we look, we created something called the selector it's a it's a model 550 selector it's a it's a very solid lock back folder that you can replace the full blade on so there's a lot when you're when you're unbuttoning when you're taking animals apart. There's a lot of torque, yes, a lot sir. of side torque. You're going through joints. You're going. You're popping hips. You're you know. You're doing. And, and for people that know what they're doing, they make it look a lot.
2: Yeah, they're more, surgical. Yeah, but not
3: they make it look more effortless than if I was doing it.
2: Sure,
3: <laughs> but uh, but so so that's what we did. We decided that instead of doing a razor blade knife, we would do a strong stainless steel line folder bulletproof that you can replace the blade so we we have a sheath it comes with three blades one in the knife two in the sheath you can kind of custom select there's an initial offering but you can also get on our website and custom select some some specific blades so if you want to go out there with just three drop point sharpened blades and use one till you're tired of it and swap it out with the next one till you're tired of it you know, so that was one of those uh, that was one of those products that was driven by by consumers obviously liking the razor blade knives, right? But we felt like we had a a better solution, and that's what we did.
2: Well, I like that solution because um, I mean I'm very transparent. You break blades, I don't care who you are, and the. Are you packing those out? Probably not. Probably not.
3: You're you're flicking them off into the so into the weeds.
2: You're leaving a trail behind. It's, you're not yeah. leaving it better than you found it. You know better, and so it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But I see that um, market. I'm, I'm hoping that's kind of come and gone as we get people more educated with kind of other things. And and if I'm a consumer, you're talking about soon to be five generations. That's special. You don't hear about that anymore. So, um, pretty. Pretty humbling to come yeah. here today and see your operation. I can
3: understand why. I mean, I, I can understand where you can have a pocket full of cash or you can have this business with risks and trials and troubles and whatever. Yeah. So you want the pocket? I mean, I, 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 I can see farmers doing that too. I can. You, know, sure. you got all this land, you've got this legacy, or you can have a pocket full of cash. We as a family just felt like this business is so important to us that it was, we're not, anyway, we're not interested in selling it. We're, we're, we, we love what we're doing. We just want it to grow. I want to take those core competencies into new areas. So when you talk about growth, I couldn't tell you what those areas are right now, but there's, there's, there's still a lot of growth opportunity for us in the knives from doing, uh, you know, more tactical line of knives to doing kitchen knives to, to doing new breakthroughs in everyday carry. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for us right in our own ballywick that we're, we'd we be very well suited to take advantage
2: of. Mm, that's cool. Well, I know you're busy, man. I appreciate your time. We're going to pump this out. And just any parting advice for those rookie elk hunters? I know you've been out on some quite a few elk hunters. Our podcast kind of helps squash that learning curve. It kicked my ass. It took me five years to kill an elk with a bow. Uh, It just did, and there were some hard knocks out there, but we try to always offer some unsolicited elk hunting advice from some of those who've been there, done that. What do you have for our our guys who listen out west, Midwest, hell, even east, and they want to come out on this adventure and chase elk, but uh, they haven't had a chance to do that yet or or they haven't conquered that learning curve?
3: Oh, two things. Um, First is prepare yourself, so be in shape uh make sure your gear is in shape and then uh, the second thing is uh hunt the rut
2: (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) that makes all the difference yeah have you guys ever heard a bugle here like have you ever oh yeah 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 so if you guys can't see this but we're we're up in a valley but we're right up against some pretty good mountains and i gotta imagine
3: oh you could you could look right out this window and see elk in these fields at different times
2: that's cool i I think that was a good move. Honestly, <laughs> it
3: was a good that's move. not going
2: to happen in San Diego. There's not a
3: lot of elk in San Diego. There's lots of stand-up tuna fishing in San Diego that I miss desperately, but sure. but there is elk right outside our window. Yeah, that's special.
2: Thanks for your time, brother. Hey, it's
1: pretty. Good. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, elk hunters. Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.